Welcome to the Bicons Podcast, where we talk about film and TV shows for people who definitely needed a queer Asian lead when they were younger. Hey, it's Nicholas Cage. Uh, and this is Remy the Rat. And um, we're covering The Half of It by Alice Wu. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, capitalism hurts. Yeah, bro. It's like, really. Why do we need ego death when there can be capitalism death? My ego's fine. That's not true. Before we had modern Western capitalism, we had a jubilee system, where you your debt would be cleared every seven years. It's so insane how much debt holds me back. And it worked for the people. It's so insane. They liked it. It was healthy. We have the money. There Money's was still fake. a market. Like, it was, it just cleansed every seven years. I don't know if it's Reagan's fault, but I'm going to assume it is. It wasn't. Reagan's it was, like, way fault. before. Damn. Well, Reagan is Trump's fault. Or, sorry. Trump, Trump is... is Reagan's fault. Wait, what makes you say that? They have, like, the same platforms and, like, the same fucking slogan, the same conservative, you know, ideologies, the same, like, cult following. Really? They were both fucking famous before they became, um... Yeah, they were... President. He was an actor. That's crazy. Yeah. They didn't have any experience, right? No. So, this situation with Trump has, like, kind of happened before. I mean, under both administrations, there's been mass death. And, like, a practical genocide. Like... Really? Yeah, because um, under was Reagan, Reagan was the AIDS epidemic and the war on <gasps> drugs. Yeah, in the 80s. Yeah. Oh, my God. The 80s was, like, one of the worst decades, like, climate-wise, yeah. too. Like, That's they were just like, pumping factories going. Yeah. Nobody fucking cared about the air quality. That's why we don't have, like, a lot of, like, queer elders. Because they all fucking died in the 80s. <sighs> Yeah, Freddie Mercury. I know he's not like the poster boy, but I mean, he, he could have been alive. Yeah, he was That's one, right. just one guy, and he could have been alive. Yeah. Oh my god, could you imagine if Freddie Mercury was still alive? I. Oh, we have to introduce ourselves. That's that's something we have to start doing in twenty twenty. We have to. Good mythical morning. This is the worst deja vu. <laughs> Why can't I have that? Why can't we have that? Because it's already someone else's. What do you mean? <laughs> <What are you? laughs> We're keeping this in. Mm-hmm. I want good mythical oh morning. Okay, I just replace it. mythical with something. No, that's corny. And stealing someone's thing isn't corny. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, who are you? I'm Remy the ma- the rat. And you <laughs> Remy in parentheses the rat. The rat. Hi, it's Nicholas Cage. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> oh my god, there's a um I just had to look away. I saw a uh what's it called? The the National Treasure. Is that the movie is that what the movie's called? Where the, the Declaration of Independence, Nick Nick Cage. Da Vinci Code? Am I good? Yeah, National Treasure, sorry. There's a National Treasure drinking game. And it's like, take a shot play? every time somebody says Declaration of Independence. And like, there's a bunch of- Oh my god, can we- Yeah, I think I like screenshot. We should do it. Okay, when? I haven't gotten drunk in so long. We don't have to do shots. I just do like a sippy of my wine. Still, like, I want to get it. drunk. Your immune system is like, are you going to tell them that you had coronavirus? Oh my god, guys, I had coronavirus. <laughs> oh my god. I uh, first started feeling sick the Wednesday before Christmas- 
but I didn't think I had it. I just got better because I started getting better. At least I thought I was getting better just to find out that I did have it. But I did get tested like as soon as I had symptoms. And then I find out that like your symptoms fluctuate or they can fluctuate like while you have it. So that's why I thought I was getting better, even though I wasn't. And then for like a straight week, I felt like shit. I felt like pure dog shit. Was it the worst like cold slash flu feeling you've ever had ever? No, I've had like I've had a flu that was worse than that. Which makes me one of the, like, really fortunate ones. Like, I was really lucky. I was one of the really, like, fortunate ones. I didn't get hospitalized. I didn't have to, like, go to the doctors or anything like that. I didn't have any breathing problems. I just had really bad, um, like, sinus problems and headaches slash migraines. Um, a fever. I was, like, fucking sweating in my sleep. Which was, like, honestly the worst part for me because I was so uncomfortable. Um... And just a bunch of like little shit, but I was really lucky and I'm better now. I don't know why anyone's surprised anymore that nobody's like listening to the rules. The temperature guns like, don't even do anything because apparently you were getting that. Yeah. Because I didn't, I didn't even have a fever the whole time. I only had a fever for a couple days. Then like, like, that's the thing. It's like, why are you only taking a temperature? There's so much they need to do that more. goes into it. What about being asymptomatic for Christ's sake? Like, you know what I mean? I don't know. Wear a mask. Like, wear a mask. Don't, like, hang out in large groups. I don't know why people still have to be told this, but... New Zealand apparently had this thing where, like, you would... The the government would text you a number, like, in a queue when you were allowed to go shopping at the grocery store. So that... Why are you telling me that? No one else would be there but you. Well, supposedly when Biden... Like, in Biden's, like, first... One of his first orders of duty or what what the fuck ever he's gonna do is, like, a nationwide lockdown. He's supposedly gonna be, like modeling it after New Zealand and Australia. Good. So that's good. We'll see. That's good to hear because you see these fucking places like the indoor beaches and shit like that that are completely packed with people. No masks. Yeah. I don't get it. You just wonder like why is it open? My favorite is the outdoor restaurants where they put plexiglass on four sides with just like a small door and it's like you're indoors now. You're not outdoor anymore. And even if you were like I don't know. I have a lot of opinions. I'm just angry that I fucking got coronavirus because people are stupid. Now that you survived it, you're never going to get sick again. I better not. I've done my dues. Hey, if you've been looking for ways to help out and educate yourself, please visit biconspodcast.com forward slash resources. Here you'll find Black Lives Matter, First Nations support, and LGBTQI plus outreach. Do your part. There's always a way to help. Before we, like, get started, started, just, like, a little housekeeping thing. Um, In 2021, we really want to get, like, the podcast up and going, and we're doing, like, a slight rebranding that's going to be slowly rolling out, because we're doing it, like, all ourselves, so it's going to take a while. Um, But we would really appreciate it if you guys like the show, if you could leave us a review on iTunes and in exchange, we will shout out whatever social media you want us to shout out on the podcast. Yes, sir. Um, anyway, so like we said, we're covering half of it. Um, essentially it is a coming of age movie, but they made it gay. It, they made it gay and first gen. Yeah. It's like the story of three characters, pretty much Ellie, who's the main character. She's, a queer first generation um, Chinese teenager um, living in the made up town of 
Squamish. That's Squamish. Squamish. That's supposed to be like in Washington State, I believe. And then her new friend Paul, who commissions her to write a letter, write several letters for him so that he can woo his crush, Aster Flores, who is the love interest. The prettiest girl in school. Yeah. It's like very classic in that way, but like <clears throat> hey, can I get the class nerd to like help me? I yeah. feel like it's been done in a less diverse way before and I like that they diversified. Yeah. It. I really like the the movement of taking really like standard tropes that you only ever see in straight romance stories and not really changing anything about it besides making it gay. Mm-hmm. Though this movie was like it was the first sort of like love story between like or love story for Ellie. It wasn't a coming out story. Yeah. At all. At least I didn't see it that way. No, it wasn't. She didn't come out once actually. I didn't even know Aster was by herself until, like, way later. Yeah. At least it wasn't, like, confirmed. Like, we got, like, kind of, like, hints, I would say, throughout the movie, where um, I think it's kind of implied throughout the movie that she might have a crush on Ellie, just from, like, little, like, looks here and there. Glances. And stuff like that. Okay. Like, little conversations they have. But you're right. We really don't know until the end of the movie that she for sure was... That and she I know for this, sure had like, a crush. Yeah. It's not a marker or anything, but I don't think she was queer-coded at all in the way that Ellie was. No. And I kind of like that, too. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Like, shows us how queerness looks mm-hmm. in so many different people. Yeah. I like, too, that she even asked her, like, I would say she's white, but she was still, like, a Latino girl. And, like, her family was also, like, an implant, this mostly, like, white conservative area. And I think they could sort of, I think maybe that contributed to what they had in common and, like, how they could connect because they both kind of felt like outsiders where they were. I like that. I think this felt so relatable because it was, like, very quintessentially first gen where, like, you see scenes where Ellie is helping her dad take a phone call or, um write an email and he says little things about how he's still insecure about his American accent and like doesn't want to do it and like it it gives us reason as to why Ellie is so stoic the way she is is because she's like so much older than her age. We talked about a couple times like while we were watching the movie how the reason one of the reasons that Paul couldn't connect to Aster like on his own is because he's so obviously less emotionally like mature and emotionally intelligent than the two girls and it was like so clear because like you're right like Ellie had to grow up really fast because not only is like she first gen but her dad's a single dad because her mom died yeah so like she has to deal with that on top of everything she has to deal with um making sure their electricity doesn't get turned off and she has to do his job for him sometimes because he's so overwhelmed by grief. Yeah. I relate to that. I related to that right away. There was, um... Even, like, that little part where she was, like, getting on her dad for not watching English-spoken movies in his spare time. Instead... And instead, he's, like, watching stuff in Chinese. Right. Because she wants his English to get better. Even, like, little, little stuff like that where she was, like, just, like, teasing him, kind of. But it was... I don't know. It's just something first-gen kids understand, that. Yeah. And that was sprinkled 
throughout. I swear to God, I haven't seen media like that yet that like talks about all the subtle insecurities in every family mm-hmm. member in a first-gen family. You can tell that this movie was, first of all, made by an Asian queer woman. Phenomenal woman, by yeah. the way. You can you can tell, and I really enjoyed like how much care you could tell that like went into this movie. Like, there's so many little like details. You could tell that this was like a baby for her. You know what I mean? It was so like well done. Yeah, and Alice Wu, she like left her job full time software engineer at Microsoft to become an um, LA filmmaker. That's literally just amazing. Up and did it. Yes, bitch. She came out with this and Saving Face, which I really want to watch, too. Yeah, I really want to watch Saving Face. Give us the queer Asian leads, for fuck's sake. It's been so long. It's, it's overdue. free, everyone. It's, it's free. free. <laughs> Just They're do there. it. <laughs> the actors and actresses are there. Just do it. There's this um, there's this interview that Alice Wu did, and she was talking about how like she wanted to set the scene at like the beginning of the movie and how she used coloring and like staging for it. It says Wu worked with her production team to create a distinct color palette from Ellie's home. She goes on to say Edward Hopper, who I guess was like one of the like directors of photography or something that worked on the movie was a big influence in terms of color, like primary colors that were distressed. It feels like time has stood still. The idea is stasis, the key to understanding Ellie's reality. Her father is paralyzed by grief over her mother's death, and Ellie in turn feels responsible for him. The dad doesn't want to move on emotionally. It's sort of beautiful, like you can see the love they have for each other. But there's a sadness to it because there's no growth. If Ellie continues on her on her life the way she does, she will just become another version of her dad. And I thought that was like so like carefully and like well done. And I and I felt that. Yeah. I definitely felt that. I like that we start off with that, like this feeling of stasis and like her feeling like she's gonna be here forever. And I I like that because the the story really is as much as it is a love story like between it's not really a love story between Ellie and Aster, but you know, slightly there. It's so much more about her relationship with Paul. And I feel like she learns just as much from Paul as he ends up learning from her. I think it was about them learning about love from each other without it being a love story between them. Yes, that's really, I agree with that. He has this idea in his head that love is about effort. And she has the idea in her head that love is about noticing the little things and like loving loving the little things about someone and like being in tune with them and they come to learn that it's both and I think Mm -hmm. they learn about love from each other they learn that there's he had like the big like speech part at the end where all three of them have like their speech Uh in the church he says I've learned that there's different ways to love and I thought there was only one way and now I know that there's many yeah that's true I I like that there was like a mutually beneficial relationship and it wasn't just like him it wasn't just Paul, like, seeping off of her. It wasn't... She didn't exist to, like, uphold him. No. At all. And I really like that. I see what you mean. You're, you're happy that they learn from each other. I'm yeah. happy that they learn from each other, too. I didn't see much substance to his character at first. I didn't think he was, like... Well, I assume that only because he wasn't a well-spoken guy right off the bat that he just, like, was lackluster all around, but... 
towards just like a little later he seemed like a really thoughtful friend and like yeah for sure a really important friend for ellie to have while she was like discovering that about herself and i like that Something I didn't like about the half of it was that um, everything that Ellie said, like a lot of her writing, especially between her and Aster, Mm -hmm. was written, maybe this is just my opinion, but like really deep. Like almost unnecessarily, like coyingly sweet, like too um, much. I think part of that was like because of like when it started, she didn't know how to write about love. She only knew how to write. Like, she was a good writer. Her whole side gig was, like, you know, writing essays for people. And, like, there was, like, these little shots of her watching romance movies. Like, old school romance movies that her and her dad watched together. And she was, like, taking notes. Yeah. So I think a big part of that, like, definitely came from her just, like, not having that depth yet. And I think it became less so deep a little, like, the more she actually started to, like, ask her. But even, like, in the end, like, in that speech scene, it was still, like, a little much. It was really cool that the movie did that. I'll say that. The whole motif on, like, being able to speak and how well you speak. That was, you saw that in her dad where like he was insecure about not being able to speak well enough in English. And then there's, and then there's Paul who's like super insecure about how he's able to speak to this girl Mm -hmm. he's super crushing on. And then there's Ellie who's a first gen kid who most likely taught herself English. Mm -hmm. Let's be real. If her dad doesn't speak it as well as her. Right. She is perhaps the best speaker They just wrote her to be the best speaker out of all the other characters on this movie. Yeah. Like, I just think there's, like, a little theme there with it, with the whole motif of, like, being able to speak and, like, is this the boldest stroke you can make? Like, maybe she... A lot of first-gen kids feel like they have to overcompensate Mm -hmm. or overlearn English. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I don't want you to, like, divulge your trauma, but would you say that you like relate to that like would you say that you did that like when you were younger yeah yeah I just mean like am I speaking well enough I want to speak well enough to this person I really care about mastering the language your boldest stroke what's the boldest way you can use this tool it's like I liked like how when Ellie was like gonna walk away from Paul like when they got into like a little argument or whatever and he was like really kind about it like he didn't like explode back like he was like I don't know. He just, like, always seemed to, like, meet her with compassion for the most part. And, like, when she eventually got back in the truck, he was, like, and she was talking about how her dad couldn't get promoted because being able to speak good English is more important than having a PhD. And he was like, well, I don't speak good either. I literally, ouch. Yeah. Speaking English trumps having a PhD is what she said. So that's what I mean. Like, maybe that's why she became the girl who's, like, a reader and a writer. I really identify with that because she wants to master the language that has more or less oppressed her family. Yeah. And then, like, even continue, like e- continuing with the theme of t- knowing how to talk. Like, in the end, Aster tells Ellie, like, you didn't use enough emojis in his text. So I could tell that it wasn't actually him talking. So even through text, like she was able to, language is like so, what is it? Pervasive? Is that the word? I don't know. But language is like so important and like it's so distinct to a person. I thought that was cool how like they even drew back to that at the very end. That is really cool. Yeah. Because we, anybody can tell now. Yeah. I don't know. And like how you can tell like when somebody's tone changes even through like text and stuff like that. Yeah, you're Um, right. I think Everybody texts a whole different way. I think another trope that I really liked that they sort of just took and made gay was like the idea of mutual pining. 
it's like a slow burn like trope it's like these two people who are like so obviously in love but like neither one of them will say it or whatever and i think like throughout the whole movie we see ellie is obviously in love with aster not in love they're 17 but you know what i mean ellie obviously has feelings for aster and like we also get aster like in this really unsatisfying relationship that she doesn't want to be in with her boyfriend and like she feels stuck she also kind of she thinks she has feelings for paul but she really has feelings for ellie and like even when it is ellie like by herself when they're not you know talking about the letters or whatever like aster still likes ellie she still kind of has a crush on ellie and then that's why she's so hurt like in the end when she reminds me of atypical yes yeah you're right i was trying to think of an example you're right i really like that they just like took these tropes and just made them gay effortlessly that's a really cool thing some critics said online about this movie they were like it guides us from the inside to the outside i haven't written down it guides us from the outside to the inside from the platform to the compartment oh i like that that name i don't have their name sorry sorry but it's because like it was like a random like user whatever whatever on but isn't that so interesting it really does because she was totally on the inside and on the inside only yeah. it was almost like she was paul's personal assistant right secretary <laughs> yeah. typing out everything like yeah. how she would with her father or whatever yeah like my parents would always call me like their secretary growing up it was so funny haha <laughs> also trauma inducing <laughs> and then she finally has a conversation with a girl asked her and all of a sudden she's on the outside she's yeah. on the outside and like she can't hide the way she fucking mm-hmm. talks right so like Aster could probably tell right away and it was it was just yeah. really cool smooth transition from inside to outside that I think that scene, like, in the hot spring or whatever you want to call it, was, like, a really pivotal moment. And it was so, like, sapphic. Like, the whole, like, the imagery and, like, how they talked. All of it was so sapphic. I, like, ate that shit up. (laughs) I loved it. It was so Tumblr beautiful. Tumblr loved it. It was oh my so God. beautiful. I loved it. Yeah, like the text dilemma at the diner. Yeah. Technically speaking, that was captured so well. Like it was like mm-hmm. left to right, left to right. And like not a word was exchanged, mm-hmm. but you got the vibe the whole time. That's it was almost you know. comedic. Texting is like part of our language now, yeah. for real. I remember when I was an MCS major in college, like my first two years, and we would talk about all the time how like texting has created like a new language and how like things are are like being added to the dictionary like words that we have created like in a texting language has been added to the dictionary how we're almost reverting back to like a hieroglyphic style of writing because of emojis oh my god we talked about all the time and i i i love language and i really like how like how that was like sort of a motif throughout the whole movie i really really like that wow that's really cool i also really loved how I think they were trying to set Aster up as like this not like other girls, girl next door type of stereotype. And then she's kind of like actively, not actively, but like narratively subverted that. Because in the beginning, like when Paul was trying to describe why he liked Aster when he was when he was first talking to Ellie, he was like, I just think you're so beautiful. And even if you were ugly, I'd still like you. And like, you're not like other girls and like you could never be like other girls and stuff like that and Aster's like we get these like shots of like oh she's just like this the solitary brunette like in the corner reading books but like it's like no she's like I'm like this outsider in this community and people put their ideas on me and it makes me feel trapped and she sort of like breaks herself out of that box I think even though 
people keep trying to put her in the not like other girls. Even like the imagery of like her being the only like brunette girl in that line of blondes yeah. and the very stereotypical like popular insane. girl down the hallway thing with the matching scarves and like she's so clearly like stands out from them and doesn't belong and doesn't want to be there. That was but, the whole point of her character, yeah. I feel like. It's like just to be not like the other girls. I don't think it was as like misogynistic as that trope normally comes across. I think it was a not like other girls and like a really like I see. From the perspective of the woman instead yeah. of from the perspective of the man. You're saying the director change is a great yeah, idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think so too. I really like that. That this was directed by a woman. A queer woman. She gets it. You could tell from yeah. the jump it was you already said this, but that it was written by um, a queer woman. It was really cool. Yeah. She captured all the nuances of like not gay panic <laughs> but also like the first gen nuances of like knowing when to like um, help your parents out even if you're busy or even if you don't feel like it. The religious With guilt. English. It was really subtle, but it was still there. Honestly, this is really great. This unprecedented time. Oh my god. I never want to hear that ever again. But Asian Americans have needed better storytelling for a minute now. In yeah. Media. Like, they have not been getting their story told. At all. No. And I know this speaks for, like, this movie speaks for so many of us. Why don't we have more Asian leads? Like, why? I thought it was, like, so sad. Because, like, when I was researching the movie... I like came across this interview from like Alice Wu and she was saying that she based the half of it off of like a real life experience that she had with like her own best friend and how it was a heart, it was a heartbreak between her and her best, her like guy best friend because her friend had gotten a girlfriend and they ended up basically having to friend break up because the girlfriend, even though the girlfriend knew she was gay yeah. She was the girlfriend was so terrified by like the the intimacy that they had as best friends that he ended up like having to choose. Why he chose the girlfriend is beyond me. It's kind of sad. Yeah. No? And I think she wrote this as sort of like a it didn't have to be that way type of Aww. thing. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. That makes me kind of sad, but also I love that. That's like great filmmaking work. Yeah. That's, that's so cool. That's the best way to make, like, an authentic story is, like, writing from experience. Literally. It's it's literally using film writing or screenwriting to express your feelings about something. Yeah. I wish I were a film writer. I just want to sit in at a table read at some, at some show I really like, like BoJack Horseman. I would give anything, anything that's to be better, on the set of BoJack Horseman. That's a better... What if they sold tickets like that, like post-Rona? Like, what, uh, if they, what if you could, like, buy a ticket for someone as a gift? I'm sorry, but Bojack Horseman <clears throat> is literally, like, the most masterfully written piece of television ever in the history of ever. Ever. We could talk about the asexual representation Whoa. now. Now that we're not a bisexual. Whoa. Oh, yeah. This is podcast. I guess, like, by the way, like, part oh, of our, oops. like, rebranding thing is because bisexual representation is so white and we don't want to, like... Literally. be white um we are gonna branch out into like queer representation we're obviously still gonna like talk about bisexual representation because bisexual is part of queer but in order to tell more like, diverse stories 
so much queer content to be talked about and like not all of it's bisexual so like yeah hey and also like i can't relate to people that i mean white people that much to like talk about white people in every episode like yeah huh like i'd rather because like i feel like when it's just white people over and over again it's the same it's not the same story that's not fair but it's not the same there's something like like, missing when it's the same two white girls over and over and over and over and over again and like i feel it's not fully really i mean queer people should be demand like you said last time like we have every right to like demand more from the stuff that represents us yes sir as we should so we are now a queer podcast not to be confused with a bisexual only podcast yes we are bisexual icons right yes but we're also queer icons and like let's just talk about queer film and media it opens the conversation a lot yeah Um, especially because like our own like identities are like forever changing and like we're young so like you never know and like There was just, like, one little, like, thing that I wanted to note because I thought it was really cute. Um, yes. That kind of goes along with, like, how much care, like, went into the film. So there was a user on Twitter um, at Show Yourself, and they said, um, Ellie's name means bright shining one, while Aster's name means a star-shaped flower from, a da- from the Daisy family. A flower needs the help of sunshine and able to bloom. Ellie helped Aster to grow as the person and find her true self. And then Alice Wu like responded to it and was like, that's absolutely correct. And note that when they were doing the, the spray paint on the side, love that it was like a, a, a a female figure and like, that was like rays (gasps) of sunshine reaching towards a flower. No. No. Right. <laughs> Wait, so what, how does Ellie's name mean sun again? I don't Ellie's know name means... Sorry, like slow. Like bright like... shining one. What? Yes. And what language? I don't know. It didn't say. That's awfully nice. And aster means a star-shaped flower. flower from the it's Daisy It's a really pretty family. flower. Well, that's nice. <laughs> so what was like your... What would you say was your favorite part like about the movie overall? My favorite part was definitely the spray painting scene. I feel like so many people could say that, but like them just going back and forth and leaving the writing on there. Like, Ugh. I love, I wouldn't have loved it if they didn't do that. Yeah. Now I want to do that IRL. Like that's so that's much so fun. It was so thoughtful and like sweet. I really love it. I just think it's a great way to spend an afternoon. Absolutely marvelous. What about you? What was your favorite part in the whole movie? This is like, I feel like this might be like a, a cop out, but I, like the ending, honestly, I really liked that. Like as a whole, I don't think that th- those three people would have ended up doing what they did if it wasn't for each other. I don't think Ellie would have gone away to college if it wasn't for Paul. I don't think Astor would have like come to terms with their sexuality if it wasn't for Ellie. the whole situation with Ellie. And I don't think Paul Paul's like little side passion was his his sausage and like Ellie was the reason that he got recognized in like a bigger town and like that he was able to experiment and like be do like what he was passionate about. So Aww. I really liked that it was a happy ending without there being a romantic ending. 
just reminds me so much of atypical every time yeah. you describe it. Now that you say it, I because really, I'm just like, like listening never... to you, and I'm like yeah. atypical. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Oh, I'd be liking that. I love atypical. Anyways, how many um, graffiti paintings out of ten would you give the queer representation? I will give it a solid eight out of ten. I would agree with that. I think it was wonderful. Yeah. Absolutely wonderful. Really enjoyed it. I want I want more stories like this with people that are in their 20s. I'm so tired of like all of it being teenagers. What is America's obsession with teenagers? I can't relate to that that much. Like give Ugh. me something like with millennials. Like, like no offense, but I didn't like come out until I was 21 or something like that. Like give me shit where like people don't know what they're doing in their 20s. They find out later. That's what Desiree Ahavan's doing, yeah. to be honest. I think that's true, yeah. But also, yeah. I want but more. Not to say that we're not grateful that this is being shown to someone who really needs it. Yeah, you need it at this age, yeah. honestly. If you're yeah. struggling with it at that age, you need to hear this at, at that age. But you I know also we need it when you're... Yeah, we need it now. We need it for all age groups, honestly. Yeah. When I see them for, like, old people... Ugh. Let me not call them old people. Older people. Older people. It's so heartwarming. Yeah. Because they didn't grow up in a time where, like, we've come a long way. There's yeah. a long way to go, but in comparison to, like, boomers, mm. boomers' parents. The greatest generation, my ass. Goddamn. The greatest generation. <laughs> Destroyed America. Anyway. Really cool. That was nice. Mm. How many? I have to think of something else. Let's see. There's taco sausage. There's um. Oh, what did she do? She put a hot dog in a. That was good. (laughs) What did she call it? Corn hot dog taco. A taco sausage, I think. Oh, it was taco sausage. My bad. How many taco sausages out of ten would you give the half of it for like overall likingness? Really annoying. Wow. I like really like this movie. I thought Paul was too annoying for me to give it a nine. I don't know why I like Paul, but he gives me like Styles Teen Wolf vibes, and I like like that. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Never. I. I don't think I'm as irritated by him as you are. Oh my god, I'm not irritated by him. I'm not going to leave that in or anything. I just mean like... I'm not irritated by him. You're not? No. Oh, I thought that's what you meant. I just think he's annoying. How is irritated and annoying not the same Irritated is like further than annoying. Oh. I think he's unlikable. To me, personally. Yeah. I thought Ellie was a little bit too. But that's besides the point. I still really like this movie. I would give it an 8 or a 9 myself. Yeah. It's well deserving of the 9 that yeah. you gave it. It's really beautiful and like the story is done really well. Yeah. The technical stuff was also really nice. Yeah. They sold me on the spray painting war thing. Mm-hmm. Cute thing. And the little like paper mache like little interludes they would have was so cute too. I like that. Mm-hmm. It was very artistic. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I love that. They sold me on the first gen nuances. 
Um, watch the half of it on Netflix. It's very good. It was pretty great. Yes. And uh, we will see you next time. We don't know what we're doing next time yet, but we will let you know. Hope you had a safe New Year's. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Adios, muchachos. Thanks for listening to the Bicons podcast. Our cover art is by Taylor Davis and Jamie Shee. Our music is by Lakey Inspired. Check out our website at Biconspodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at Biconspod and Instagram at Biconspodcast.